0: Section 8 of the story of Aristotle's Philosophy by Will Durant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 8. Politics, Part 1. 1. Communism and Conservatism. To so aristocratic an ethic there naturally follows, or was the sequence the other way, a severely aristocratic political philosophy it was not to be expected that the tutor of an emperor and the husband of a princess would have any exaggerated attachment to the common people or even to the mercantile bourgeoisie our philosophy is where our treasure lies but further aristotle was honestly conservative because of the turmoil and disaster that had come out of athenian democracy like a typical scholar he longed for order, security, and peace. This, he felt, was no time for political extravaganzas. Radicalism is a luxury of stability. We may dare to change things only when things lie steady under our hands. And in general, says Aristotle, the habit of lightly changing the laws is an evil, and when the advantage of change is small, some defects whether in the law or in the ruler had better be met with philosophic toleration the citizen will gain less by the change than he will lose by acquiring the habit of disobedience the power of the law to secure observance and therefore to maintain political stability rests very largely on custom and to pass lightly from old laws to new ones is a certain means of weakening the inmost essence of all law whatever. Let us not disregard the experience of ages. Surely in the multitude of years these things, if they were good, would not have remained unknown. These things, of course, means chiefly Plato's communistic republic. Aristotle fights the realism of Plato about universals and the idealism of Plato about government he finds many dark spots in the picture painted by the master he does not relish the barrack like continuity of contact to which plato apparently condemned his guardian philosophers conservative though he is aristotle values individual quality privacy and liberty above social efficiency and power he would not care to call every contemporary brother or sister nor every elder person father or mother if all are your brothers, none is. And how much better it is to be the real cousin of somebody than to be a son after Plato's fashion. In a state having women and children in common, love will be watery. Of the two qualities which chiefly inspire regard and affection, that a thing is your own, and that it awakens real love in you, neither can exist in such a state as Plato's perhaps there was in the dim past a communistic society when the family was the only state and pasturage or simple tillage the only form of life but in a more divided state of society where the division of labour into unequally important functions elicits and enlarges the natural inequality of men communism breaks down because it provides no adequate incentive for the exertion of superior abilities the stimulus of gain is necessary to arduous work and the stimulus of ownership is necessary to proper industry husbandry and care when everybody owns everything nobody will take care of anything that which is common to the greatest number has the least attention bestowed upon it everyone thinks chiefly of his own hardly ever of the public interest and there is always a difficulty in living together or having things in common but especially in having common property the partnerships of fellow-travellers to say nothing of the arduous communism of marriage are an example to the point for they generally fall out by the way and quarrel about any trifle that turns up men readily listen to utopias And are easily induced to believe that in some wonderful manner everybody will become everybody's friend, especially when someone is heard denouncing the evils now existing, which are said to arise out of the possession of private property. These evils, however, arise from quite another source the wickedness of human nature. Political science does not make men, but must take them as they come from nature. And human nature, the human average, is nearer to the beast than to the god. The great majority of men are natural dunces and sluggards. In any system whatever, these men will sink to the bottom, and to help them with state subsidies is like pouring water into a leaking cask. Such people must be ruled in politics and directed in industry, with their consent if possible, without it if necessary from the hour of their birth some are marked out for subjection and others for command for he who can foresee with his mind is by nature intended to be lord and master and he who can work only with his body is by nature a slave the slave is to the master what the body is to the mind and as the body should be subject to the mind so it is better for all inferiors that they should be under the rule of a master the slave is a tool with life in it the tool is a lifeless slave and then our hard-hearted philosopher with a glimmer of possibilities which the industrial revolution is open to our hands writes for a moment with wistful hope if every instrument would accomplish its own work obeying or anticipating the will of others if the shuttle would weave or the plectrum touch the lyre without a hand to guide them then chief workmen would not need assistants nor masters slaves this philosophy typifies the greek disdain for manual labour such work in athens had not become so complicated as it is today, when the intelligence demanded in many manual trades is at times much greater than that required for the operations of the lower middle class and even a college professor may look upon an automobile mechanic in certain exigencies, as a very god. Manual work was then merely manual, and Aristotle looked upon it from the heights of philosophy as belonging to men without minds, as only fit for slaves, and fitting men only for slavery. Manual labor, he believes, dulls and deteriorates the mind, and leaves neither time nor energy for political intelligence. It seems to Aristotle a reasonable corollary that only persons of some leisure should have a voice in government. The best form of state will not admit mechanics to citizenship. At Thebes there was a law that no man could hold office who had not retired from business ten years before. Even merchants and financiers are classed by Aristotle among slaves. Retail trade is unnatural, and a mode by which men gain from one another. The most hated sort of such exchange is usury, which makes a gain out of money itself, and not from its natural use. For money was intended to be an instrument of exchange, and as the mother of interest. This usury, tokos, which means the birth of money from money, is of all modes of gain the most unnatural. Footnote this view influenced the medieval prohibition of interest and footnote money should not breed hence the discussion of the theory of finance is not unworthy of philosophy but to be engaged in finance or in money making is unworthy of a free man end of section 8